But the text that the Lord has for us this morning is the end of 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 14. Hear now the very Word of God that is authoritative, sufficient, and inerrant. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we thank you for your servant Peter. We thank you for his pastor's heart. We thank you that you have so designed it to inspire him by your Holy Spirit to write these words of exhortation and comfort to us. We ask this morning, O Lord, that you would bless us by them, that not only would we hear them and understand them, but that by your Spirit they might take root in our hearts. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make to you all. I like John Wayne movies. And if you know anything about John Wayne, you know basically that John Wayne makes two kinds of movies. It's either a Western or a war movie. Either he plays some version of a lawman against odds, or a soldier, a sergeant, an officer leading a group of men in a battle, usually also against odds. And once you've been a little bit of a John Wayne aficionado, you know how these things go. You don't expect John Wayne to break into a Shakespearean soliloquy. He pretty much does the same thing. As a matter of fact, there are two movies that I, I like both of them, and I can't tell you which is which. One is Rio Bravo, and one is Rio Lobo, and they're almost the same movie. But if you've ever watched a John Wayne movie with someone who's never seen one, there can be kind of an interesting reaction. The person you're watching it with may feel a sense of suspense. What's going to happen? The Duke is outnumbered. Will any of his 
sidekicks get killed? Will, will, he, will he be able to pull this off? What will happen? And if you enjoy the Duke as much as I do, you may look over and go, it's John Wayne. Of course he's going to win. He wins every time. This is what happens. And you don't give it a moment's thought. There's a similar sort of experience that we have on the other end of history. You know, it's very difficult for us to realize that in 1942, there was a very real fear that we would lose World War II. That we would be defeated in the Pacific. That we might not be able to ever free Europe. You know, if the Battle of Midway had gone the other way, there might still be a Japanese empire. But you see, we look back at it and we, and we look at Midway as this sort of thrilling, almost adventuresome event. To those who were in it, it was scratch and claw and try and get through it. Those two pictures, one from entertainment, one from history, can often describe the Christian life, I think. You see, because Peter tells us that we're in the midst of a battle. That we're fighting sometimes tooth and nail to keep our children. Tooth and nail to be honorable in our jobs. Tooth and nail for our marriages. And we're not sure how it's going to end up sometimes. But you see, what Peter does is, he shows us the end of the John Wayne movie. He turns the page to 1945. And he shows us that God is in charge not only of the world, but of your battles and mine. You see, there's no need to fear because God is in control. The ending has been written. We are, by God's grace, who are united with Jesus Christ, headed for glory. And so, Peter gives us some advice about how to deal with the struggles that we all have. The battle that confronts us daily. And so what Peter says to us is four things. The first thing that he says to us is we are to be humble. Humility is a key part of fighting the Christian battle. And we are to be heedful. What does that mean? You could see the H connection, but heedful means you give heed to something. You listen. You're ready We're to be humble, we're to be heedful, we're also to be hardy, to be strong in the Lord. And then finally, he calls us as God's people to be harmonious, to be united, to be of one mind. Humble, heedful, hardy, and harmonious. These are the commands that God gives to us to not only survive, but to thrive in the midst of the battle. Well, let's take a look then at what Peter means when he tells us to be humble. Peter begins here in verse 5 with a likewise. If you've been following along with us, you know that Peter likes that word a lot. He says likewise this and likewise that. And what he's trying to do is to draw a connection here. He says, likewise, you who are younger, you have to be subject to the elders. And so he continues to describe this structure of authority. It's continuing from verse 1 of chapter 5, where he was exhorting the elders to be shepherds. 
And so he's dealing with the opposite end of that. He says, not only must the elder shepherd, the younger must likewise submit to the authority of the elders. Now, at first glance, we might look at this and say, that doesn't make any sense. How can submitting be like having authority? But you see, the likewise here is not, I think, about which side of the authority equation you're on. The likewise here has to do with the relationship that is built up amongst all of us. You remember what I said last week is one of the main tasks of an elder, and that is to shepherd in relationship among the people. What he says to those who are being shepherded is, likewise, you are in relationship to the elders. There is an authority structure. There is a relationship structure. Because the authority is ultimately that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Peter is saying here is, in the midst of your difficulties and your struggles, remember that you are a part of a family. That Jesus Christ is not just setting up an organization. It's not just the perfect corporation with the best boxes and organizational charts. He is forging a family, a people who are being more and more conformed to his image. And this has to do with all of our relationships in the church, because notice what Peter says. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. How many of you? The best Christians among you. Those who are in most need of authority. No. All of you. Every single one of you are called to relationship. Every single one of you are called to submit. All our relationships in the church, with no exception, we are called to exercise humility. To to submit ourselves, to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, why would that be? It's because Peter knows that humility smooths, eases, strengthens every relationship. It strengthens marriages. It strengthens parenting. It strengthens friendships. It strengthens committee work. It strengthens the work of the gospel as the church goes forward. Being humble, clothing ourselves with humility... And this shouldn't surprise us, for who is the ultimate example of humility? But our Lord Jesus Christ. He who, as king of the universe, put aside his own rights, put aside his own prerogatives, and served. He came to serve and to seek the lost. This is a way of life that we are to exercise. It should be as natural as waking up. Or, maybe to use Peter's example, it should be as natural as getting up and putting on clothing. I see, and I'm thankful, that no one here forgot to get dressed before they came to church. And I'm going to guess that none of you even considered getting up and coming to church or to work or anywhere else without clothing. And I bet you that's the case even when it is 95 outside. It's just natural to us, right? What Peter says is, he challenges us. He says, you shouldn't even consider getting up 
going out, being among God's people, being out in the world where you can be seen unless you have put on the clothing of humility. It should be just like falling out of bed. And by clothing ourselves in humility, Peter says that should be something that others should see. That as we go out in the world, others should see our humility. And this is a real challenge to us. Because oftentimes, the church wants the world to see its power. To see how we can get out the vote. To see how we can make ourselves heard on radio and television. To see how we can build bigger buildings. To see how we can have more programs. But you see, Peter says all of that is in vain unless we go about the daily task of clothing ourselves in humility. But it's not just that we're called to be humble among men. That's what Peter's just been describing, that we're to be humble among men, but also we're called to be humble among, or excuse me, humble before God. Because we are to clothe ourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then a second command comes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. So, In our daily lives, as we go through life and things get difficult, we're not only called to be humble before others, we're called to humble ourselves before God. That means we are called to acknowledge His power, not our own. You notice that it is His hand that is mighty, not ours. What does that mean? It means, Christian, that He is able when you are not. Have you had opportunity this week to feel like things were spinning out of control for you? Is there some area of your life that you don't have tightly wrapped and put together with a bow? If you don't, come see me. You can have some of my areas. You see, what Peter says is, when you don't have it all together, remember God does. God is bigger than your problems. God is bigger than your difficulties. His hand is mighty and never slacks. And this concept of the mighty hand of God reminds us of the judgment of God that will come. This is a way the Old Testament refers to God judging. And it refers to the fact that God will set all things right. And that we can have hope because God's hand is mighty. Do you feel, do you think, do you know that you are abused and afflicted at work? And do you have very little hope of that being set right? God will set it right on the day of judgment. Do you believe that you have been sinned against and that it will not be right? God will set it right. Because his hand is mighty, not only now, but his hand is mighty at judgment. So we acknowledge God's power, we humble ourselves before it, but we also need to acknowledge that God is wise. We acknowledge his wisdom as well. You see, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand so that at the proper time he may exalt us. Do you notice how Peter says that? He doesn't say, humble yourselves, and God will immediately exalt you. 
You see, because God is not a cosmic butler. He does not fix our problems and our struggles on our timetable. We're used to that. We want to take our children, put them in the God microwave, press 15 seconds, hit go, and come out and have it finished. We want, well, marriage could be more difficult, let's give it 25 seconds. Fix my boss. He can have a minute and a half, but that's it. That's the society that we live in. That's the temptation we have. But what Peter says is, God knows the right time. He knows you're in a struggle. He knows you have difficulties. He knows there's a battle. He knows you're crawling around in the dirt under the razor wire with bullets flying. He knows when to tell you to get up. We have to trust Him. Humble ourselves before Him. Know that God knows what we don't. That God is in charge and we are not. For His glory and our good. You see, this is the gospel, isn't it? Do you let your children pick their bedtime? Do you... do? Four and five and six-year-olds decide when lunch, when dinner, and when snack time will be. Do they decide when mom and dad go to work or go out and shop? No, at least not in my house. No. The adults set that. The adults know the proper time. But you see, isn't the gospel like becoming as a child, Jesus said? Trusting a heavenly Father that His timing is right, that He knows what we do not, and that He acts for our good. This is acknowledging the wisdom of God. But we also need to acknowledge the care of God. Look at what Peter says here. We humble ourselves so that at the proper time He may exalt us, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And Peter says this in a very interesting way. Verse 6 and verse 7 are very closely related. You may not be able to tell it from the English. Trust me, it is in the Greek. Because the main verb in this sentence is humble yourself. Casting is what we call, teachers, grammarians, a participle. It describes what you are doing while you're doing the main verb or the means by which you do the main verb. Running, he went to the store. By running, he went to the store. Here, by casting yourselves and your cares upon God, that's how you humble yourself. Do you notice that? God is not like an earthly king. Humbling ourselves before God is not something that we do to our own detriment. Bowing and scraping, lashing ourselves. No, we humble ourselves before God by saying, God, this is too much for me, take it. It's not too much for you. Have you practiced that this week? Are you like these guys in the sitcom or on the cartoon? Someone hands them a barbell that's way too heavy. Rather than handing it off, you're tottering, hoping you can hold it, that you'll fall down. God says, cast those cares upon Him. 
Nothing's too big for him. He can wipe out nations that thwart his will. He can flood the whole earth. He can redeem rebellious sinners. He surely is able to take your difficulties and problems. You see, we humble ourselves by casting our cares upon him. And that gives us comfort. We do that because he cares for us. I had a close friend, I have a close friend, who I haven't seen in some time, who had a a wonderful way of illustrating this to me. He would have difficulties in his life. He had problems, perhaps, with with his eyes at times. He couldn't see. Or there might be struggles or relationships with his children. And inevitably, someone would come up to him and say, I'm so sorry that you're going through this problem, that you have this great weight that you're carrying. And he would look and completely without any flippancy say, that's not my problem. That's God's problem. He's going to take care of it. I can't handle that problem. I don't know what he's going to do, but that's on him. I've given it to the Lord. That's where real strength comes from, Christian. It doesn't come from putting on a fake smile and gritting your teeth. It doesn't come from shoving it deep down inside and pretending it doesn't exist. It comes from knowing that difficulties, struggles are real, but that God is more real. Well, this is what it means to be humble. The second thing that Peter says to us is, it's not just enough to be humble, we need to listen, we need to be heedful, we need to be ready for what God has for us as we humble ourselves. And look at verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. You may recall before we said, when we were looking at chapter 4, that Peter really likes this word, be sober-minded, be watchful. He really likes us to pay attention And he gives it to us in the form of a command because he knows it doesn't come naturally. If you struggle with being alert, if you struggle with being focused, when difficulties come in, you should know that that is natural. It is a natural weakness that we have. You know, Peter understood this weakness very well. One of the places in the Bible in which this command is given is it's given by our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, be watchful unto prayer. Do you know who he gave that command to? Rip Van Peter. He gave it to Peter, and a couple minutes later, Peter was sawing logs. And he came back and he said, Would, can you not watch with me? For just an hour? And you know what happened to Peter? He was out like a light. This made such an impression on Peter that he uses the same language in chapter 4. In verse 7 he says we need to be watchful unto prayer. You see, Peter knows that it's difficult to be ready in mind. He knows that our pride in ourselves and our desire to carry the load ourselves dulls our senses, that we become desensitized to what's going on around us as a self-defense mechanism. And Peter says, you need to be watchful for what the Lord is going to do. 
Because you see, being watchful and sober-minded is critical to important tasks like praying. Like seeking the Lord's will. In the midst of the battle, Peter says, you need to be alert and sober-minded. And we can think of an illustration of this. This type of command, this type of behavior, is what in the world of sports separates the good from the great. Isn't it? The ability to focus and not be distracted. The figure that comes to mind for me even though I often rooted against him, is Michael Jordan. It didn't matter what was going on. Horns going off. People waving things in the crowd. A hand right in his face. Only thing he saw was the net. Zing. He blocked everything else out. Now, that's true of something as insignificant as a sporting event. But it's true of life, too. You see, as we go through struggles, distractions, harassments come against us. The price of homes goes up. Something breaks on the car. Someone gets sick. Someone makes a mistake in the household. These things come at us and they distract us from following God, from listening to Him, from being ready. And Peter says, focus on the Lord. Be ready in your mind. And you need to be ready to act. You need to be vigilant. You see, because it is a battle. We need to be watchful. I had another friend in seminary. I think I've mentioned him before. He's a ranger and a a green beret. And he was overseas in Afghanistan for a period of time. And we were sitting around seminary one day asking him, you know, what do you do when you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's cold and you're on patrol, how do you stay awake in the middle of the night? And he said, you just do. Okay, what does that mean? He said, you do whatever you can. You drink water, you lift up your eyes, you smack your face, you walk around, you sit down, you do anything you can because sleep might mean death. For you and your buddies. So you do anything you can to be ready. That's what God calls you to do today. That's what God calls me to do. To be ready. That might involve praying, reading the scriptures, listening to music, looking through a hymnal, having a conversation with a fellow believer. It might mean all of the above doing anything we can to be ready and to be vigilant. Because you see, Peter says, this is not a game. We have an adversary, and he is dangerous. Peter describes him as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is not playtime. The Christian life is serious. And there's also a word of caution in this. If there's anyone within the sound of my voice that does not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that does not know Him and love Him, is not united to Him by faith, Peter says, now is not a time for delay. The devil is seeking people to devour. Now is not the time 
to delay. Satan does not give quarter. Sin does not give quarter. We're called to be focused, to be vigilant, to be ready. While we're humble, we're heeding the voice of God. But then Peter also tells us we are to be hardy, we are to be strong. You see, there's nothing wrong with taking good, solid action as a believer. Christianity is not just up here. Peter says, resist the devil. You see, what Peter says is, do not be paralyzed by fear. Some Christians live paralyzed by fear about what this demon or that demon or this attack or that sin will do to them. And Peter says, you can resist him even though he is a roaring lion. You can resist him. And this is a biblical concept, isn't it? James takes this a step further. He says, if you resist him, what will happen? He will flee from you. Paul puts it a little bit differently. He says, put on the armor of God and stand fast. And you will prevail. You see, because the Lord is on our side. It is the Christian's calling. And you see, the weapon that we are called to use is faith. Do you notice how Peter does that? He links our resistance with our faith. He says, resist him, firm in the faith. Faith is the weapon. Now, you need to look at this closely in English. It doesn't say, resist him with firm faith. Do you notice that? It says, resist him firm in the faith. In your faith. You are not called to make sure you have rock-solid, perfect faith, and only then will you gain victory over the devil. It's the faith that God gives to us that what? Makes us firm in resisting. What a comfort that is. You see, you just switch a couple of words and there's almost despair there. I could never get enough faith to resist the devil. But God doesn't call you to that. God says, resist him and stand firm in the faith that he has given to you. And that is a part of us expecting victory over the devil. Even if we don't see it immediately, we know that God is working to strengthen and establish us. And so we can be hardy by resisting the devil. But we have another means, too, of being strengthened and being hardy, and that is that we are called to rally around each other. There's a reason why we're called together as a people, to rally around each other. We are a church. We are the people of God. You see, Peter says, resist him, firm in the faith. And then what does he say? Knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter says something to us that we need to hear a lot. Do you know what he says? You are not alone. You may think you are the only one whose children behave in a certain fashion. 
And you may be in this church. You may even be in Katy. But you are not alone among the people of God. You may think your job is unlike anyone else's job on earth. You are not alone. You may think your struggles in your marriage are yours alone and you need to keep them secret and you need to protect yourself. And what Peter says is you are not alone. Your brothers and sisters throughout the world have the same kinds of sufferings. Sufferings of the same sort. Your struggles are not unique. And just knowing that makes the battle easier, doesn't it? It's sort of the whole principle behind secular support groups, right? We just come and sit around and talk to others. And it makes us feel better. What Peter says is, the Holy Spirit is working on you in the same way that he is working on the brothers throughout the world. We're called to rally around each other, to lift each other up, to hear each other's pain, to share each other's joys. This is how we are strengthened, how we can be hardy. Well, Peter calls us to be humble, to not exalt ourselves among men, but to humble ourselves before God, to cast our cares upon Him. He calls upon us to heed the voice of God, to be heedful, to be ready, willing to act. And he says, be hardy, be strong, resist the devil. And then the final thing that he says is, we are called to be harmonious, to be one. He says in verse 10, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, we are called to be harmonious because we are united by God. God is the actor here. God is the one who strengthens all of us. He doesn't just strengthen your family and not your family. You have to do it on your own. He strengthens all of our families. He strengthens all of our witness. He strengthens all of our marriages. He strengthens all of us throughout the struggles and the battles that we have. And that brings us together in a way in which nothing else can. Because no matter what our difficulties and battles are, we have a commonality and we come together and we say, the Lord strengthened and established me. That's what Christianity is about. It's not, well, I found my comfort in this. Well, this worked for me. Maybe it will work for you, I don't know. No, what works for everyone is trusting in the Lord. We're united by God in His grace because, you see, He has called us to what? His eternal glory in Christ. He is taking all of us on a journey to eternal glory with Jesus. We're all going the same way, strengthened by the Lord. And that strength comes in the midst of struggle. It is God who establishes us. It is God who strengthens us. You see, oftentimes, if we are honest with ourselves, we hearken back to something in our lives that we think was safe. 
And what we want to do is we don't want to go forward where it's scary out there. We want to go back to where it's safe. And Peter says, strength is not found in former safety. It's found in God, no matter where the steps take us. There's an interesting song by a man by the name of Chris Rice. It's called Eighth Grade. And kids, believe it or not, your parents wish they could go back to a safe time like eighth grade. He says this, he says, Remember the days when life was not so mysterious. Follow me down the hall to the cafeteria, where the worst thing I could mess up was dipping yesterday's corndog in last week's ketchup. Back in the eighth grade. Do you long for that sometimes, adults? When that's the worst thing that could happen to you. And then he says, why does the past always seem safer? Maybe because at least we know we made it. And why do we worry about the future? When every day will come just the way the Lord ordained it. You can believe it, just like back in the eighth grade. As certain as it is that you could get through those minor difficulties of middle school, high school life, that's how certain you can get through the battle in your homes, jobs, communities. Because you see, the safest place to be is under the hand of God, not where we have control of circumstances. This is how we are united by God, and we have harmony. But you see, Peter also calls us to be united with each other. It's an interesting way that he ends this letter. He says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He says, We are united with each other. We're united in word. Peter says, I'm so united with you, I take the time to write to you. And this is a brief letter. I wish I could write more. He does something else that's interesting. He said, Who does he send the letter by? Sylvanus. No, that's not a brand of television. It's another way the Bible uses of saying the name Silas. Now, that may not mean anything, except for when you remember that who was Silas's partner? Paul. And then when we think back to the book of Galatians, who, re- who gave Peter his sharpest rebuke? Paul. You see what Peter's saying here? He's saying, I'm so united with Paul, Paul's partner is the man I trust most to take this letter to the people that I love. I want you to know that. That's what unity looks like, Peter says. And he he says, we're united in thought as well. He says, Silvanus is a faithful brother, as I regard him. I want you to know he is faithful. And not only Silvanus is faithful, I know that you are faithful because this is the true grace of God that you stand in. You see how he encourages them? He says, we're united in word. We're united in thought. 
The key to getting through the struggle is building each other up. Why so often are we eager to tear each other down? Getting through the battle, we need to be one army, pointing in one direction, facing the true enemy. And Peter says we're to be united, and he shows us what that looks like. It's not just that he talks about being united. It's not just that he thinks about them. He shows it to them indeed. He says, I want to show you love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. I want to give you peace. Peace to all of you. And he says, we stand together with you. The church that's here at Babylon sends you greetings, and so does Mark. He says, we are united. This is pastorly advice from a man who's learned from hard experience what it's like to be out there on your own. And so he calls us to trust upon the living God, to not focus on our struggles, but to have our minds ready to be strong in the faith that God gives to us and be united as the people of God. And that is the recipe, beloved, for doing marvelous things. That's what we are called to today. To trust in God's grace and to see where he will take us tomorrow, next week, and beyond. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us this message of hope, this message that shows to us that we are not alone, but that you preserve us, guide us, and govern us. That you give to us not only yourself, but you give to us each other. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would have this word take root in our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.